seated. Tonight's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Three things before we get started this evening. It's great to see you. Um, first thing, over here on my left, your right, is Megan and Liam Boyd. I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass you both. Megan and Liam, right, raise your hand so everybody can see. That's Megan and Liam. Liam was baptized this past Tuesday. Megan was baptized about a month and a half ago. And so brand new Christians, we're so thankful for them. You'll not find two more sincere people who really want to know the Lord's word and want to obey. And by the way, that's Riley sitting with great grandma uh, Shirley over there on their, on their right. And so we're so thankful to have Megan and Liam a part of our, our, part of our family here in Katy. They're, they're looking for... They're looking for Christian friendships. They, they want to build and develop those. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to meet Megan and Liam, please make it a point to do so. Liam works offshore and he's going to be uh, leaving tomorrow and uh, for, for a few weeks and uh, he'll be back, um, I guess in three or four weeks, give or take. So glad to have you all with us. Second thing. Uh, don't want to steal Ray's thunder. He's going to make the announcement that he made this morning again this evening. But just to clarify for everybody, next Sunday morning is kind of like spring forward and fall back. Next Sunday morning, there's a schedule change. And so if you're live streaming, we're glad you're with us. We're glad to have you with us. Turn on your live stream an hour earlier next Sunday morning because at 9 o'clock, we're going to have an adult Bible class only here in the auditorium. There will be no children's Bible classes next Sunday morning, but we will have an adult class here in the auditorium. And add to that, we're doing away with the A through J, K through Z system that we've had in place for several weeks. So everyone who wants to be here next Sunday morning, there's a lot of options and alternatives. Uh, Ray's going to mention those in a little bit, but just make sure that that's on your schedule. It's been a long time since I've been at the church building at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. And it's just gonna, it, for me, it's just gonna feel good. Um, I went to, I went and spoke at the Graber Road Church of Christ this past Wednesday night, and I had a live audience in a Bible class. And I just, my family will attest, I didn't know what to do with myself because I could ask for comments and questions and they just stared at me like I was nuts, you know? Why do you keep asking for questions? But anyway, it, it, was, it was enjoyable for me. Uh, so next Sunday morning, 9 a.m. is when Bible class will start here in the auditorium. And then one more thing before we get started this evening. Jordan Moore, the ultra-talented minister, has produced these really nice-looking reading in sync 
brochures, and they're out in the foyer. You can look for them as you, as you leave this evening. I mentioned this this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more about it tonight. We're starting a program. If you're not already involved in some kind of daily Bible reading plan, we want to encourage everybody to get involved. And so, starting tomorrow, there is a daily Bible reading. So, this week, our theme is, Our God, He is Alive. And tomorrow is 1 Kings 18, then Psalm 19 on Tuesday, and Daniel 5 on Wednesday, and Acts 17 on Thursday, and Romans chapter 1 on Friday. And so, we want to encourage everybody, if you're not already reading the Bible on a daily basis, to get involved with a program like this one. And we'll be communicating more about this. But wanted to make you know, uh, make you aware that these are available in the foyer. They're also on the website, including a longer list of everything that we're planning to do within the next 20 weeks or so until the end of this year, as far as our daily Bible reading plan is concerned. So take advantage of this. And uh, this is the kind of thing, obviously, you can stick on your refrigerator. I know it'll help me to remember which passage we're reading on a daily basis. Thank you for that, for your forbearance with me. I want this evening to continue our thoughts from this morning as we ask the question, what are you reading? Because what we read and what we meditate on, what we think about, has a tremendous amount of power in shaping who we are. I mean, what you read and what you embrace and what you really think about, those things, those affect who you are and they affect what your character is like and they affect what you think is important and meaningful and valuable in life. And what I want to do this evening is basically this. I want to help you to think about reading generally and how to be a better reader, but especially I want to help you think about how to be a better reader of the Word of God. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 30, Philip the evangelist ran up to a man who was in a chariot reading a scroll. The man was from Ethiopia. And when Philip approached this chariot in Acts chapter 8 verse 30, he asked a very diplomatic question. He heard this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. He was actually reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? That's a really good question. Have you ever done this? Have you ever decided that I'm going to read the Bible? And you sit down and you read and maybe you spend five, ten minutes reading a passage, a chapter or something like that. And you get done and you think, I can't remember a thing that I just read. Or you think, I'm just completely confused by what I've just read. Anybody besides me ever had that experience? Hopefully this lesson is going to help us to get more out of reading God's Word. In Jeremiah 15 verse 16, the prophet Jeremiah said something about the Word of God that we ought to stop and consider. He said to God, and Jeremiah was struggling because Jeremiah was a preacher and it was hard to be a prophet, especially in his times. People were not receptive to the Word of God. And what Jeremiah had to say was not only unpopular, it was not patriotic. It was not what the country of Judah wanted to hear. And Jeremiah wrestled with this because he had this ministry that God gave him. He's supposed to be preaching the Word of God. And on the other hand, he's getting all this resistance and all this pushback and all this, all this flack for sharing the Word of God. And he would say things periodically in his book like this. He said, God, I couldn't give up because your words were found and I did eat them. I ate your words. 
Now think about that. This lesson's about reading the word of God and Jeremiah here is talking about eating the word of God. He's not speaking literally. He didn't tear up the scroll and stuff it in his mouth. So what does that mean? It means that Jeremiah spent time not just reading over, scanning what the words on the page said, but Jeremiah spent time internalizing in his heart and in his mind what God wanted him to know. That's what it means to eat the word of God. Your words were found and I ate them. And then he goes on to say, your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, the God of hosts. When you find somebody that knows what Jeremiah is talking about, you'll find somebody that's really passionate about the study and reading of God's word. Because there is joy to be found in the reading of God's word. There is joy to be found in understanding and knowing God's will better. Jeremiah understood something of what that was like. And you and I can know the same kind of joy. When we think about reading, I'm not much of a tea aficionado, but I do know this about tea. I know that on the right, there is a tea bag that has not been in the water for very long. And just like when we read the Word of God, if we don't spend very much time reflecting on, thinking about what we've read and what we're experiencing, what we are reading, we're going to be like that glass on the right. Not very much changed, not very much affected. But just like a tea bag, if you leave it in the water longer, what happens? The tea becomes stronger. We call it letting it steep. And as the tea steeps, it gets stronger and stronger. It has more and more of a chemical effect on the water around it. And that's what makes good tea for people who live in Southeast Texas. It's leaving that tea bag in the water. Well, the same principle applies to the reading of God's word. It's the power of observing and of thinking about and of reflecting on what we've read. You know, sometimes we just open up and we read a chapter and we think, all right, I've read the chapter, check, and we move on. But God says, no, you need to eat my word. You need to think about what you've read. You need to meditate on what you're reading. And so with that in mind this evening, I want to think about together, as we think about the word of God and its power to change our lives, three aspects of reading that are worth considering. We're going to talk first of all about seeing what the words say, seeing what the message of the author really is all about. Then we're going to talk about thinking, meditating on God's word, and then finally doing. How do you set about to do what God has said? And hopefully some of the questions that are on the handouts that were in the foyer a little while ago, hopefully some of the questions can be of use to you in your daily Bible reading. Let's talk first of all this evening about seeing. People read for two primary reasons, okay? If people are going to read, they're going to read for one of two reasons. And we ought to ask the question of ourselves, why am I reading this book? A lot of people read for a utilitarian purpose. That is, they want to know something. So a lot of people read the Bible the way we read the instructions for putting a refrigerator in. Or we read the instructions for putting a toy together. Or the way we read a recipe. We read the Bible because we just want to know something. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll go do it, and that'll just be the end of it. 
So we can read just for information's sake, just to know something. That's utilitarian. But there's another reason why people read. The second reason is what we call transformative. Just like that tea, that tea bag in that glass of water, the Word of God can change us. Transformative reading has to do with thinking about and weighing and considering what is true and letting that affect us. You know, transformative reading is not limited just to the Bible. Years ago, it's not so much a thing now, but years ago, our education system was designed around good quality literature. The classics. You know what the classics do? They identify what people have called universal themes, universal struggles that humanity faces. And then the classics deal with some of those struggles and they talk about and twist and turns of the characters, but they bring these noble thoughts to people's minds. And in weighing those things and in thinking about what's true about those things, people are changed. Even more so, the Word of God does that for us because every word of this book is 100% truth. It's put there exactly the way the Creator wanted it put there, and it will change our lives no matter what passage we're reading from. Transformative reading. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. He's talking about transformative reading here. Think about this. Blessed is the man who does not walk after the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying there's something about meditating and reflecting and thinking about God's Word that is transformative, that changes people. It's not just reading through and, okay, I've checked off my list. I've read the one chapter. It's thinking about what God has said and letting that change us. All right? Practically, John, you're saying the word transforms us, it changes us. How does that happen? How does the tea get into the water and how does the water start to steep? How does that all take place? I'm glad you asked. There are three questions when it comes to seeing that are really important. Here are the three questions for transformative reading that you and I ought to pay attention to. Question number one, no matter what passage I'm reading, really no matter what document I'm reading, I could be reading somebody's book that they wrote and still these questions apply. The first question is this, what does the author say is important? What does the author say is important? What does he think is meaningful? And then, what is life all about? And I guarantee you, whether you're reading a biology textbook or whether you're reading the Word of God, the author of those books has given some answers, some clues to those questions. Open your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 8 and look at verse 36. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. As you read through God's Word, great question to keep in mind. And you could just stop with these three questions, and you could ask your family these three questions after you've read passages like 1 Kings 18. Just ask, what does God say is important in this passage? What does God's Word say is meaningful? What does God's Word say life is all about in this particular passage? You could just ask those three questions. You could have a really 
helpful, transformative type of Bible study. Mark 8, 36, the words of Jesus himself. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or, verse 37, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What does Jesus say is important? He says souls are important, doesn't he? What does Jesus say is meaningful? He said it's meaningful to make sure that we're not giving things in exchange for our souls. What's life all about? Life is all about the preservation of my soul, even if it's at the expense of everything else. So it's looking at the passage. You could do this with any passage in Scripture. What does God say is important? What does He say is meaningful? What's life really all about, according to this passage? Three questions worth reflecting on. It's about seeing. And I'm not just reading the Bible so that God will tell me exactly what He wants me to do, although He does do that. I'm reading because I want to be changed, and I want what God thinks is important to be important to me. And I want what God thinks is meaningful to be meaningful to me. And I want what God says life is all about to be what my life is all about. That's the idea. That's the concept. That's seeing. Secondly, reading has to do with not just seeing, but reflecting on what you read, thinking. Thinking is critically important. Even the Bible points this out. Thinking about what you read. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And usually we stop right there and we don't talk about how we're transformed. But look at what the rest of the verse says. How am I going to be transformed if I'm transformed at all? It's by the renewing of your mind. You know what that means? It means that I'm reading in the Word of God and I'm letting what God says is important, what God says is meaningful, what God says life is all about, I'm letting that become my thoughts about what's important and meaningful, what life's all about. That's how my mind is renewed so that I might prove what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thinking. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul was writing to some Christians, some new Christians. Here's something that he said. He said, you need to put off the old man, put off your old ways, Ephesians 4.22. Your former conduct, the old man that grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again, just like Romans 12 verse 2. Here's the concept of being renewed in my mind, of letting what God says is valuable and meaningful be what I think is valuable and meaningful. And then when I've been renewed, look at what the next verse says. Put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So I've got to put off something. I've got to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. And then I've got to put on something if I'm going to please God. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not fighting with swords and guns. But our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, there's a reflection on our thinking again, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What's Paul saying his ministry is all about? His ministry is all about transforming the way people think. 
what's important, what's meaningful, what's life all about. Those questions are addressed by God's Word repeatedly. And when we share God's Word with people, it's not just so that we have all the information we need, it's so that we adopt the same viewpoint that the author has. Thinking. Here are five questions. You want to go a little bit further? You could stay with those first three questions that we asked. What's important? What does God say is valuable here? Just stay with those three questions and you're doing great. If you want to go a little bit further in reflecting on God's Word in your daily Bible reading, though, ask these five questions. Five questions for reflection on any passage in Scripture. Number one, what does this passage say about God? You want to be a better Bible student? Ask that question. Because the Scripture is from God and it's about God. What does this passage say about God? Second, what does this passage say about people? What are people like? What does the Bible say? What does this passage that we're looking at say? You're still looking at Mark 8, 36 and 37? One of the things I learned in this passage is that God doesn't want me to lose my soul. That's what the passage says because the words are in red. They're spoken by Jesus himself. He's warning me. But another thing that I learned as I asked that second question, what does it say about people, is that a lot of people do give things in exchange for their soul. They make foolish deals, foolish bargains. What does this passage, number three, say about how people relate to God? What does it mean to have a relationship with Him? What does it mean to worship Him, to speak to Him? What does it mean to live for Him? Question number four, what does this passage say about how people relate to other people? You think about passages like John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. By this shall all men, the whole world, know that you, the church, are my disciples, if you love one another. That's all about relating to other people. What does it say about God? He wants me to love others. What does it say about me and the way I relate to people? It's a badge of discipleship. Number five, question. How does this passage fit into the big picture of Scripture? The Bible is comprised of 66 books, two testaments, old and new, 39 books in the old, 27 in the new. How does this particular passage fit into the big theme of Scripture? You start to ask those questions and now you're thinking, now you're reflecting, now you're letting that tea bag steep a little bit more. And then this third this evening, the doing. The Bible commands us not just to hear the word, but to do it. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Our young children sing that in Bible class. The wise man built his house upon the rock. It wasn't until I was much older that I found out that building my house on the rock had to do with hearing the word of Jesus and doing what he says. That's how you build your house on the rock, according to him. It's not just about saying, look at what a wonderful God we serve, but it's about doing something about that. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When we just listen to the word of God, but we don't do it, we don't obey, James says we might well be guilty of deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. 
We may have rationalized our disobedience. We may have a good excuse for why we're not doing what the Bible tells us to do. James says, be doers and not just hearers. Six questions that deal with application. Yes, those first three questions in the first point, you're doing great. Yes, the next five, at least one or two of those, you're doing really, really good. Now we're getting down to the application. How do I go about putting into practice what God has commanded me to do? Application question number one. In this passage, is there something to thank God for? Still looking at Mark 8, 36 and 37. What shall it profit a man that he gain the whole world and lose his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? God, thank you so much for reminding me and warning me about the value of my soul and for caring so much that you made a way for my soul to be saved. Is there something to thank God for in that passage? Is there an example to follow? Or is there an example to avoid? As we're reading a number of narrative passages together, don't do what the prophets of Baal did. Don't bow down to idols. Don't follow after false gods and think that they're going to somehow save you. But there are also examples to follow. We ought to stand up and have courage before our God and before others who don't believe in him. Question number three, is there a command to obey? You know, a lot of people struggle with the will of God. I just don't know what God wants me to do in my life. I just don't know what he's, what he's got planned for me and things like that. If we would just pay attention to the commands of Scripture and just do what the commands say, we would stop struggling with those kinds of questions as much as we do. If we just pay attention to what God has commanded and then just set our hearts and our minds to doing those things, God in his providence takes care of the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, he says. Matthew 6, verse 33, obey my commands. Number four, is there an attitude to change? This one burns me just about every time. As I'm reading through God's word and I ask the question, is there an attitude to change? Yeah, if I'm really honest with myself, yeah, there's an attitude to change. Probably several attitudes to change in most cases. Something that I need to do differently. Number five, is there a motive to adopt or embrace? This is an interesting question because when you read, especially in the pages of the New Testament, God gives you not only the commandments, here's, why you need to do, here's what you need to do, but he also gives you the why and the wherefore. Here's why you need to do what you're doing. I'm going to do it. I, for time's sake, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verses 18 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Is there a motive to adopt and embrace? 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee sexual immorality. I think most people are okay with that command. Flee it, stay away from it. But now God doesn't just give us the command, he gives us the why. And the why, the motive is a lot different from what we might argue, parents, as we talk to our kids about these kinds of things. Well, there might be unintended consequences. You might have an unfortunate experience. There might be disease involved. 
Those might be a parent's rationale for stay away from sexual immorality. That's not God's rationale. Look at verse 18 as it continues. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What do you mean, Paul? What does it mean to sin against my own body? Well, here's what he means. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The motive for fleeing sexual immorality is that God bought me. He owns me, body and soul. That's the motive to adopt and embrace. And so if I'm going to stay away from sexual immorality, my reason for doing that is not just, well, I'm being obedient to the commandment of God. My reason for doing that is because I've adopted the motive. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ bought me from sin. And I'm not going to do that which dishonors him. There's a motive to embrace. And you'll find that in an awful lot of New Testament passages. Number six, what does God want me to emphasize? With my time, with my energy, what does God want me to emphasize? That's a question worth pondering as I read any passage of Scripture. Where is my emphasis supposed to be? What are the things I'm supposed to be pursuing? I've only got 24 hours in a day. I've only got so much time and only got so much energy. What should I focus upon? That's a question worth asking as we reflect on God's Word. Those are application questions. And as we're talking with our families, as we're talking with people that we're studying and reading with, these questions will open up doors to some very helpful conversations about the Word of God. Before we close, some suggestions. As we start this program, Reading in Sync, especially if you've got a family at home, especially if that family includes kids that might be younger, listen up. We need to adjust our expectations and be realistic. Okay? Your six, seven, eight-year-old is not going to turn into Jesus in the temple with the, the, the lawyers and the scholars and the scribes, okay? Reading God's Word for its own sake is a worthwhile endeavor. Let's adjust our expectations and let's let our eight-year-olds be eight-year-olds and let's let our four-year-olds be four-year-olds. Fair enough? Secondly, usually gear your conversations. If you're having this family conversation, usually gear it towards the older child or children. The reason why is because you want them to be getting as much as they can out of this experience. And the younger ones, because they want to be like big brother, big sister, they'll probably do their best to keep up with what's going on. Suggestion number three, focus on as best you can the thinking questions and the application questions. The thinking questions and the application, those seeing questions are important. But those thinking and application questions can really open up some new doors and new worlds of understanding. Finally, this is hard, especially if you're a parent. If Scripture tells us we need to change our attitudes, our motives, our behaviors, guess who has to lead the way, moms and dads? If we're reading something and our kids say to us, well, why don't we do that? 
we better be very, very, very careful how we answer that question. We need to be serious about obedience because as parents, we are leaders. As parents, we are influential in our kids' lives. And the way we treat God's Word is going to have a tremendous impact on the way they treat and understand God's Word as time goes on. Read in sync. Read with your kids. Read with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And ask really good questions and let God's Word change you. That's the challenge before you this evening. Go ahead and close your Bibles. If you haven't had the opportunity or if you haven't made the decision to obey the Word of God this evening, heaven's invitation is yours. You can come to Jesus Christ in humble submission, in obedient faith. You can put Him on in baptism. When someone is baptized, they go from a world of being lost and in sin to a world of being found, saved, raised to walk in newness of life, added to the family of God. If you're ready to make that decision this evening, or if you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your response needs to be, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing. Bye.